Radio advertising is good. Why should you advertise on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340? Well, it's simple. We are a local radio station with local shows that target our local communities and local listeners. We have a variety of shows that cover a multitude of informative and interesting topics, such as automotive and boating, real estate and finance, health and medical, politics and law, sports and fishing, pet care, and more. While we are even home to Imus in the Morning, we also have shows about comedy, food and dining, religion, fashion, local community events and activities and a variety of music. Talk radio provides a listening format that appeals to a large cross-section of people. Whether you are you're in your car, at work, at home, everyone has a radio. And we are streamed live on the Internet. And past shows are podcasted so you, the listener, can play back your favorite shows over and over again. The possibilities are endless. So that, my listeners, is why you should advertise on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage sport and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, Call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72, plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. In a moment, the 12 hours of Sebring, fast and furious. It's been that way for 20 years. Victory Lane at Sebring. The winning car, Ferrari number 21. Mario Andretti visits the winner's circle for the second time at Sebring. After leading most of the race, his car failed with transmission problems, and Andretti transferred to the winning car. Kept in contention throughout the race by original drivers Ignacio Junti and Nino Vaccarano. Congratulations. What a drive. Everything uh, yeah, gets so No, but we never lost faith, though. These guys just worked, and we just tried everything we could, and I guess the Lord will win this one again. Happy, even in the last minute. Oh, I'm telling you. This was an impossible about, dream. What about that last stop? Was it necessary? Yeah, I ran out of fuel. I thought I was crazy, but then uh, the reserve ran out, and I just barely made it in. Congratulations again, Mario Andretti. This year's race shattered all records. Average speed better than 107 miles an hour. A fitting climax to 20 years of racing at Sebring.
listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Boy, do we have a show for you tonight. I have, without a doubt, one of the world's greatest race car drivers on the planet as my guest this evening. And I'm really, really excited, okay? So, run your computers, turn your computers on, go to Tantalk1340.com, okay? We're live. And... Hey, if you need to send us a uh, email or anything like that, go ahead and email us at golfstreamradio at gmail dot com. And uh, this is going to be a really, really good show. I got a couple. I got a little different music for you guys tonight to listen to. So uh, it's this is a cultural show at times. So uh, hey, Bill, how you doing tonight? You doing? He's waving at me. Bill, you can talk. You can say hello. You know. Okay, he's got to put his mic on real quick. You know how it is. This is live radio, so anything, anything is possible. We try to keep it pretty. Pretty deep, pretty uh, pretty civil around here. So, uh, Bill, how you doing? You there? Good evening, sir. You're having Mario Andretti on tonight. I hear the Mario Andretti. Yes, the Mario Andretti on tonight. Yeah, that's right. So, hey, you got that uh, little uh, tape deck fired up for us? Do I have your tape deck fired up for you? Yeah, let's play that first song. I love fired up tape decks. <laughs> you like fired up tape decks? Okay. No
listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. All right. Hey, we're back. We're live at Run Your Computers and turn on those computers and go to Tantalk1340.com and watch this show tonight live. Actually, you just see me in the studio, but you got to listen to it. Now, ordinarily, I don't really – I try to keep my guests as a surprise. But, yes, it is Mario Andretti. And the reason I want everybody to know it's Mario Andretti because I want you to go call everybody and anybody you know because I am really, really excited about it. I'm delighted to have Mario Andretti. I had the opportunity, the good fortune to meet him at the uh, St. Pete Grand Prix. I spent a few minutes with him, actually, on a couple occasions. And uh, talked to him a little bit. So uh, he was gracious enough to accept my invitation on the radio show, and I am thrilled. I am thrilled. Hey, let me give you a couple of uh, quickies here. I want to welcome some of our guests, our sponsors tonight. And, of course, since Mario Andretti is a race car driver, he's native Italian, actually, but he's American. Um, and, of course, so since he likes uh, Italian cars, our sponsors tonight are, is, one of them is... Ferrari of Tampa Bay. So, hey, if you guys are in the market for a really, really, really stunning Ferrari, like if you guys want to buy maybe, oh, one of the new 458s, which they raced those at Sebring here a couple weeks ago, or the California, which a real good friend of mine, John, has, or the uh, top of the line 599 GTB, give my friend Tom Hassel and those guys a call over at Ferrari in Tampa Bay. That's up here in Palm Harbor. The number is 727-784-3377. That's 727-784-3377. That's Ferrari of Tampa Bay. And check out the really, really cool cars. Now, the 458 is the latest and greatest. That's their new hot rod, their killer car. That's the one that they run in GT class and did very, very well here at Sebring, I might add. Okay, So if you get a chance in some of these upcoming races, go check out the Ferrari 458. And if you really want look at some really cool cars or if you're in the market to buy one hopefully you're in the market to buy one i know a lot of my listeners have uh, deep 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 pockets run up to tampa bay or ferrari of tampa bay and uh lay down a deposit and go take a test drive in a brand new 450 ferrari or a california 
Also, I want to welcome Reeves Import Motorcars, but Reeves Import Motorcars also has Reeves, is basically has a Maserati dealer as well. So give my friends a call over there at area code 813-933-2811. That's 813-932811. That's Reeves Maserati, okay? And check out the neat, super cool Gran Turismo and the Grand Cabrio, and of course the Quattroporte, which has been around forever. I mean, that car was back in the day, back in 1965. The Maserati, Maserati Quattroporte was one of the was the fastest production sedan on the market. Now there was a little bit of uh, rivalry there between Mercedes because they had the um, their big six point. Well, their six, yeah, I guess their six threes were out back then, so it was debatable. But the Maserati Quattroporte has always been one of the fastest production four door limousines. When I say limousine in Europe, they refer to them as limousines, but we call them four-door sedans over here. So give my friends at uh, Reeves Maserati a call. That's area code 813-933-2811. And give Kelly a call. Tell them I sent you over there. And you heard these ads on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, let's see. What else we got going on? Oh, speaking of cars and exotics and all kinds of cool stuff, this weekend, I think it's this weekend, the third Saturday of every month over at the DuPont Registry off Tech Drive, right over here in Clearwater, off Almerton, okay, is Coffee and Cars. That starts at 7 and goes to 9. You talk about some really cool cars. There will be some Ferraris. There will be some Maseratis. There will be some Porsches. There will be hot rods, street rods, all kinds of cool stuff, vintage stuff, state-of-the-art stuff, pro-touring stuff. You name it, it will be there, including our friends from, uh, what's that company? I can't even think of it. It's uh, Te- Tesla, and they're held there. Uh, probably one of their uh, electric cars on display there, okay? And they're also working on a really cool... They got the sports car out right now, but they're also working on building a really, really cool mid-size sedan in a $50,000 price range that'll be a really, really cool state-of-the-art electric vehicles for those of you that uh, feel the need to be green. At any rate... Uh, let's see what else we got going on. So that's Coffee and Cars, or Cars and Coffee at the DuPont Registry this Saturday morning, 7 to 9. Of course, after about 9 o'clock, everybody heads on over to Cracker Barrel, and that's where we all hang out for a while and have coffee and breakfast and, you know, talk a little bit about cars. What else is there? Cars, cars, and more cars. Uh, at one of the upcoming events that's coming up here in the near future, um, my old high school that I graduated from back in the 70s, uh, on April 30th, Clearwater High School is having a car show. So if you are local... Check out the Clearwater High School Car Show. That's on April 30th. Uh, anything and everything is welcome. The, it is a charity thing. It's donated, or the funds will be donated to the uh, band. I think it's the band at Clearwater High School. So um, it's changed. I will be there. Um, maybe one of these days I'll be walking around with my, If you see me walking around with a tin cup, you know, I'm always looking for sponsors and donations for the radio show. So you can uh, kind of chip in there a little bit. Also, I want to say hello and a thanks and a welcome to our friends at Close to Kids. That's a charity that I kind of get behind every once in a while. It's right up here in Clearwater. They've also got a St. Pete location. The Clearwater store, which is up on Hercules, is 441-5050. That's 441-5050. And the St. Pete store is 327-7100. 327-7100. And give my friends up there, which I also, which all, we, we all went to Clearwater High School. So Martha and Paula, who work up there at Close to Kids, it's a worthwhile uh, charity organization. It's nonprofit, and uh, they, these girls all work there and volunteer and do their thing. And what it does basically, it provides. They're always looking for donations, kids' clothes donations, or you know, small adults and stuff. And what they do is they provide a week's worth of clothing, you know, school clothing, for twice a year to families that have had some really tough times. Okay, so it's a worthwhile novel uh, organization, and I urge everybody to uh, check out Clothes to Kids. And uh, donate to them and uh, help them out because they're always looking for clothes, particularly guys' clothes. You know how guys are. We 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 pretty much uh, 
wear our stuff down to the threads. So, uh, you know, girls are a little bit more fickle. You know, they change their clothes and, you know, one girl gets it and the other girl gets it and then they don't want to wear the same thing because she's got it. But guys don't care. You know, we wear blue jeans. So if you got good, clean guys, clothes, shoes, shirts, stuff like that, t-shirts, hats, anything you got from any car shows or swap meets or anything like that laying around, be sure and donate to Close to Kids. Anyway, hey, what's next on the uh, thing? We got a, another little song coming up. Okay, we got some more music. This is for our sophisticated crowd. So enjoy this. You are hearing the music from Andrea Poselli. Okay? Pasami Mucho. It's actually kind of a cool song. So uh, this is a really good song. It's a little bit different for us. Enjoy it. Si fuera esta noche la última vez, besame, besame mucho, que tengo miedo a perderte, perderte después. Bésame, bésame mucho, como si fuera esta noche la última vez. Bésame, bésame mucho. Tengo miedo a perderte, perderte después. Quiero tenerte muy cerca, mirarme en tus ojos, verte junto a mí. Pienso que tal vez mañana yo ya estaré lejos, muy lejos de ti. Bésame, bésame mucho, como si fuera esta noche la Perderte, perderte después. Bésame, bésame. Miedo a perderte, perderte después. Que tengo miedo a perderte, perderte después. 
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about Naughty Nancy. No, this isn't a story about a bad girl. This is a truth about a great place to eat and hang out. Naughty Nancy's Food Shack, located at 700 Eldridge Street in the downtown Clearwater area, is a quaint little place nestled under some huge oak trees serving great food and drink and a wonderful, friendly atmosphere. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. They have 10 daily specials as well as many different styles of cooking from Cajun, New England, Country Gourmet, and even Short Order, prepared just the way you want it. So check out this groovy little dew drop in right on the trail. So jog up to her front door, ride up on your bicycle, drive up in your car, or pull up on your motorcycle. And visit my friend Nancy and place your order. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. Hey, mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars and you might get a free drink. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotaka's Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotaka's Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotaka's Towing at 727-447-1952. And be sure and mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a discount. On the 3rd of September comes the final round for the World Championship, the Italian Grand Prix. And the cat's really among the pigeons. Ascari has one of the two new Ferraris that have proved as fast as the Alphas in practice. Both new Ferraris have unblown four-and-a-half-litre engines. Alphas are challenged at last, with Ascari in second place ahead of Fangio. But the new Ferraris don't last their first race. The 1950 World Driving Championship is won on an Alfa Romeo by Dr. Giuseppe Farina. Okay, we're back. I hope you enjoyed some of the music we've played so far and some of those clips. Well, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And uh, this gentleman is considered by many to be one of the greatest race car drivers of all time, especially since he has had over his wonderful, his amazing career, the ability to evolve from basic stock cars, dirt cars, NASCARs, sports cars, Indy cars, and, of course, the pinnacle of racing, F1. And he has won, he's one of two gentlemen in the whole world that have won a F1 IndyCar and World Sports Cars Championship. The only other gentleman is Dan Gurney, but it gives me great pleasure to introduce to my show, to welcome my show this evening, Mario Andretti. Mario, are you there? I'm here, Robert. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? Buena sera. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I'm really (laughs) delighted that you uh, decided to come on my show. It's great. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, uh, anyway, I don't know. Did you catch? What did you think of the uh, little thing on Ascari I played? Because I know he was one uh, of your was idols. Good, actually, yeah, music to my ears. Music yeah. to ears. Speaking of music, I was talking to Patty, your uh, secretary, and she mentioned to me earlier that you uh, did you really truly enjoy opera, and that you've actually do you actually sing some opera music? Oh yeah, you should hear me. 
Okay, well, we'll have to do that one time. I'll have to. I was trying to find a clip real quick, but I couldn't find one. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. We'll save that for the next time you come on your show or on our show, yeah. rather. Yeah, so there uh, you go. So tell us a little bit about how you uh, wound up in the United States. I mean, uh, you know, you grew up in uh, northern Italy, actually, right? And um, yes, northeast Italy, uh, and uh, I. Um, I was born and raised there, of course, first 15 years of my life I uh, lived there, but um, the region where I was, um, where I was born is um, called the Peninsula of Istria, mm-hmm. and uh, which uh, after the Second World War was uh, occupied by uh, Yugoslavia, and it is now uh, Croatia. So uh, with all of that confusion after the war, uh, we had a choice of uh, uh, succumbing to communism and uh, stay there and give up everything, all your belongings, because, of course, under communism, uh, the state owns everything. Or, And, of course, relinquish the Italian citizenship or leave and uh, become refugees. And um, the choice was to leave, uh, like 350,000 other uh, uh, individual people that lived in that uh, that region. So uh, we were refugees in uh, Lucca in Tuscany for seven years, from 1948 to 55. And um, and at that time, um, uh, we were in correspondence with an uncle that lived here in America, and uh, and he suggested we come to America. And my dad, uh, well, after resisting for a while, he. He applied for visas. We got visas, decision time. He said, okay, we'll go to America for five years and go back. Well, (laughs) uh, this was in 1955 is when we came over. And, uh, and of course, uh, from there, I just uh, uh, personally, I lived the American dream, really. Uh, My dad was quite happy to, uh, to have a life here in the States. Now, when you were in Italy, you actually went to... uh, um a race, and then that's where you saw Ascari racing, and that's kind of what was a turning point for you, right? Now, well, pretty much so, yes. Uh, I uh, I became enamored with the sport uh, just as a young teen, uh, really early on, and uh, I don't know why, quite honestly, but it just I was just drawn to it. And um, and again, I had uh, my brother and I have a twin brother, Aldo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both had the same uh, ideas, same dreams, and. Uh, we had the opportunity uh, to go to watch the Italian Grand Prix in Monza in 1954, and um, and I can tell you that uh, from that point on, the mold was cast. I just uh, I said, if uh, God can uh, bestow anything on me, uh, just let me be a race driver for my professional life, and uh, and obviously. Uh, Somehow, uh, he gave me that. Wow, that's amazing. Now, then, when you got to the United States, so it was in the late 50s that you and your brother Aldo started uh, kind of playing around with cars a little bit, and you went to a couple of local events up there in uh, in Pennsylvania, correct? Yes, uh, uh, Nazareth, Pennsylvania, which is just about 60, 70 miles north of uh, Philadelphia. That's where I live today. Um, and there was uh, a, a racetrack at the local fairgrounds, and, of course, we found that out immediately as soon as we arrived because uh, we arrived in June and the, f- the racing season was in full swing and uh, they had uh, Sunday night races 
And um, so Aldo and I just uh, ventured over, and we go, oh, gee, you know, stock. Uh, we had no idea what these things, you know, were what oval racing was all about. But uh, but it looked very doable, you know. I said, you know what, you know, after a while, we thought, I think we can build something like that ourselves. So with a couple of other buddies, you know, we started building a car, and we at that time we were like, uh, you know, fifteen, sixteen, and. Uh, and we figure, okay, by the time we're 21, which was a legal age to race professionally at that time, uh, we'll have the car built. Well, uh, we had the car finished by uh, 1958 or at the end of 58. So we said, you know what, we're not going to wait two more years to race it. So we sort of fudged a little bit on uh, on a birth date on our license. And, uh, of course, uh they didn't have computers in those days, so they couldn't really <laughs> check. And we said we were 21, and uh, we started racing at age 19 in 1959. And uh, and I I never looked back. Wow. Now, when what was your after that race? And um, what was your, when was your first break? When did you get your first break after that? And they kind of started to launch your career, where it just started going exponentially to where it uh, ultimately wound up. Well, you know, it's it's it was sort of uh, several events. Uh, I can tell you that um, um, I, you know, uh, I wanted to use this, uh, you know, stock cars as a launching pad because I wanted to get into open wheel open wheel cars. At that, that time, the logic move for me was to get into midgets. And uh, and so uh, it's a long story, but. Uh, uh, but by 21, I um, was married, and, and uh, my wife, uh, Deanne's father, um, actually um, uh, financed uh, me to to, uh, to buy a midget uh, from um, you know an owner that uh, had a winning car with a lot of famous drivers at the time, and uh, and I that was a three quarter midget. I was driving that, that during the winter in the indoor arenas that's where they used to run and uh and that was almost like a scouting area where a lot of the car owners would uh look for young talents you know to uh they look promising maybe to give him a ride in a full-size midget and that's how i earned my ride and that was really a great launching pad for me because uh uh with the uh, the club was the ardc american race driving club uh it was the strongest uh best uh Midget Club in the United States, where I had uh, <clears throat> the you know the iconic uh, drivers of the era uh, competing there, and and um, and I made my mark almost immediately there. Uh, I had a good uh, you know a good team. Uh, two brothers from New Jersey, Mateka brothers, uh, gave me the break, and uh, and I started winning. You know, and um, then I uh, the. The big thing for me in 1963, uh, I was uh, was the first one actually to today on record to win three feature races in one day. Uh, That's within, you know, the 12-hour, you know, just within the Mm 24-hour area. And, uh, and, you know, things like that was uh, what, uh, you know, just earned me, uh, you know, riding sprint cars on a national level and then Indy cars, so... And when was your first Indy ride? That was what sixty five, right? First Indy ride was in nineteen sixty four. Oh, sixty four. Okay. Yeah, in Trenton, New Jersey, and um, 
and and I drove uh, half a season in 1964 uh, for uh, Dean by Line, very famous team in Indianapolis at the time, and uh, <clears throat> and then 65 in my very first full season, I won the national championship. I was a rookie of the year at Indy, and I was the youngest uh, national champion in Indy cars at the time at age 25. Uh, so it was very auspicious beginning for me. Uh, I was with a great team, and that's when I started. Uh, I was um, uh, one of the top three test drivers for um, Firestone at the time when there was uh, the tire companies, Firestone and Goodyear, were undergoing a, uh, a very vigorous uh, testing program because there was a great competition between these two giants, and uh, so there was a lot of tire development, and um, so they were at the infancy of a lot of the technology, and and, um, and I was lucky enough to be one of the drivers, uh, and uh, they had experienced driver, but they wanted somebody, you know, the young driver with uh, just a fresh approach, and, and I think, uh, obviously, uh, I must have fit the bill at the time, but that worked uh, really magic for me into catapulting me into uh you know the the big time because uh i was getting so much testing so much seat time that uh, it was very very uh useful for me uh, to develop my skills as a race driver how did it come that you uh and then just to go a year or two ahead now how did it come that you got to ride nascar because mostly at that point you pretty much your background was open wheel car correct well, uh, yeah, but I uh, I was venturing into sports cars and okay. uh, and other things like uh, beginning in sixty five, sixty six, sixty seven. I was really uh, uh, trying to uh, to get into everything I could get my hands on, and uh, even though I was specializing in uh, open wheel, you know, single seaters, but uh, I was driving. I was starting to drive sports cars for Ferrari and and. Uh, and then uh, uh, I was had a, a great relationship uh, uh, with Ford, and Ford was involved, obviously, in IndyCars and NASCAR and uh, uh, Can-Am series and pretty much everything. And uh, and pretty much everywhere that I wished to to race, uh, they um, uh, they also had the Le Mans program. They had me involved. I was uh, uh, part of the testing team on their Le Mans program, which was very successful and. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if I, if I said um, I would like to uh, go to Jacques Passanel at Ford, I said, Jacques, I'd like, to, um, I'd like to do Daytona. He put me with, with their top team, you know, which was uh, Holman and Moody. And I would always get a top ride, which was uh, very important. And um, that's how I, I get to uh, get my feet wet in NASCAR. And so, uh, again, I was very fortunate to have those opportunities, but... Um, Whenever I expressed a desire to do it, you know, I had something waiting for me. Now, the uh, in sixty, the you only ran NASCAR season uh, what one year? That was sixty-seven, correct? No, I well, I know I ran sixty-six. And, oh, you did? Uh, okay. And I ran sixty-seven, uh, uh, and I, I I was running sporadically. You know, I was doing Daytona, I did Charlotte, I did uh, the Riverside. Uh, you know, I was just driving three or four races. Then uh, USAC at the time had a series, stock car series, which uh, rivaled NASCAR, and they had the same exact rules. So I was doing some of the USAC stock cars as well. Right, so they then... were doing a lot more road racing, which is what I liked as well also. Okay. So um, I did, uh, you know, 
I did more than you know three or four soccer races. I did you know uh, several. So, so what happens then? Since you were involved in let's say road racing, some of the open wheel racing, and the NASCAR. So what happened then? Probably is that uh, if I if I understand this correctly, is you had schedulings that would go on. So sometimes a NASCAR race would overlap overlap with a road race or overlap with a with an over, open wheel car race or something like that. So you, so the objective was for you was to try to get as much racing in as you could and a whole variety of different cars to basically hone your skills. Would that be a cor- correct uh, fair assessment? Yeah, that that was pretty much it. I I you know, you have a specific uh uh a main involvement like uh, you had the, in the IndyCar series and uh, of course uh, you got to go for a championship mm-hmm. at least and uh, so uh, your main focus is on that. However, you know, you don't race every weekend, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the one series. So whenever there would be a time open, then I would try to pick up something else. I would do either sprint cars, I would I would drive something else. I always wanted to, uh, you know, to plug that hole that was in my schedule. To get to and uh, I raced exactly every weekend. I used to, you know, like, uh, you know, NASCAR drivers today, they say, okay, they race a lot, 36 races. But I, used to, you know, some may obviously do more because they do nationwide in trucks. But, uh, you know, it's, you look at uh, my scheduling back then, I used to race 51, 60, 65 races a year. Wow, that's you incredible. Know? So... Uh, I was very busy guy, and I loved it. I mean, that was by choice. So uh, I just raced, raced, and raced. I mean, uh, all you have to do is ask my wife. You know, she <laughs> didn't have much vacation time with me, unfortunately, but she was uh, obviously a lovely, great supporter, which was all important. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hey, now, what about uh, how much dirt track racing did you do back in the day? And did that kind of was that kind of like filling racing for you? Dirt track racing? Well, Robert, I love dirt cars. And uh, and I did, uh, of course, uh, you know, sprint cars, midget sprint cars, and then the champ cars. I won the national championship, uh, you know, in, uh, in dirt in 1973. And, um, but I, that was, uh, I think, 74 was my last uh, season that I drove uh, dirt cars because uh, uh, basically uh, I the series you know the 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 uh, not just the schedule but uh, uh the direction that they were going you know was not really the real future of the sport for me and uh so i uh, i left it and um and i looked back at those days with great fondness you know i uh i learned a great deal and i derived tremendous satisfaction of running the dirt but um my horizons my goals were elsewhere you know i wanted to get into formula one and all that sort of thing so uh but i again you know it's uh you know back in in 68 just to go back a little i mean i i would go i was in monza for a formula one race and i had to come back to the states and run a dirt car race in indianapolis at the, the fairground the hoosier hundred on a saturday and go back to italy so you can see I was, uh, you know, moving around, going from Formula One to uh, to dirt cars, even um, you know, in those days. Well, there's see, that's the that's the word on the street, so to speak, is that's what they what makes a really. A uh, really great race car driver, a driver that can get out of an F1 car that's pushing close to 200 miles an hour, and then you get into a dirt track car, and the driving's completely different. You're on a dirt track, you're sliding the car around. Um, 
What was that like? I mean, what did you go through as an individual? You know, when you had to, I mean, did you did you have to like get a a certain mindset to say, okay, I'm just coming out of an F1 car. Now I'm going to a dirt track. What was that like? How did you prepare for that? Well, that's just it. You know, it's all about mindset. Uh, you um, you know, you, uh, you you switch on and you switch off. You mm-hmm. know, certain things. Uh, but the fact that uh, uh, you've been there, you've you've done it. Uh, it's not a big deal because uh, the nature of the beast is uh, uh, recognized immediately the minute you sit in that cockpit. You know, you know uh, what you're up uh, against, and uh, and, uh, and 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 it becomes uh, sort of a natural, almost an instinct. Uh, you know, to do uh, the right thing. So, uh, but uh, again. Uh, believe it or not, as far away as the, the disciplines seem to be as detached, that's how close they really are because there's a lot of things, a lot of the skill that I feel that uh, I learned driving a dirt car, especially when the track gets slick, very slippery, you know, really taught me how to, uh, you know, the, some of the skills that I think uh, were quite good in, in the wet, in the, in the Indy car on the road courses or Formula One. And I want some really pretty precarious races, uh, you know, in the wet, you know, by having had uh, some of that skill that uh, benefited me tremendously. So you're always learning something. As I say, as much as it seems to be uh, detached and different, uh, it's still correlated somewhere. So as you can see, uh, it's beneficial no matter what. You know, you're always learning something, something new. When you, uh, what are the similarities, if any, between driving an Indy car on a road course and an F1 car on a road course. Now, the car, the Indy car is a little bit bigger than an F1 car, correct? Well, the, the similarities are that, uh, you know, no matter what, you have to take the, the car to, to the limit. And, and that's what, you know, the seat of the pants feel comes in. Uh, a Formula One car is more nimble because, uh, by rule, it's lighter uh, and uh, it's more agile. And so, to me, it's uh, even easier to drive. Uh, it breaks, it, you know, it breaks better and all of that. And uh, an Indy car, because uh, it's such a versatile car, which because it has to be built strong enough to withstand the loading of the ovals and, and everything else. So it's a heavier car. So the power-to-weight ratio is a little bit, you know, it's not as, uh, it's a little less. And it, it doesn't break as well because it's heavier and it doesn't respond, you know, to the flick of the steering wheel as, uh, as cleanly as a Formula One car. So that's the difference. However, as a driver, the trick is always, you know, to just take whatever you have under you to the limit. So it takes no less or no more skill to do one or the other. You know, it's equal skill to to get uh, the most out of uh, whatever you're, you know, is under you. Let's jump over to K&M cars. Now, you were in Can. You did a couple K&M races, and I know there was. Uh, um, you were doing. You drove at one point the Honker too, which was a home and a Moody prepared car, which really had no. Was a brand new car, and then later the following year, I think, or seven sixty nine. That was sixty seven, sixty nine. I think you drove the other K&M car, the the McLaren that was powered by the four ninety four. And uh, what was now the, on K&M? For most of you listeners that don't know, K&M was basically a series that was created, which was basically unlimited, right, Mario? Yes, it was, and that was an incredibly exciting series. I mean, the cars were uh, looked awesome, and and um, 
And again, I just uh, really thoroughly enjoyed that. The only problem with Can Am was that you had basically uh, uh, just maybe two teams that, uh, unless you were driving for them, you had no chance of winning. One was McLaren, of course, which dominated, and um, and the other one was the Chaparrales, you mm-hmm. know, by Jim Hall. And and uh, and I drove when I was driving for Ford. It was basically Ford effort, but they could not. Uh, get a, 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 a contemporary car. We always were driving a year-old car okay. you know, against the, the factory McLaren. So it was really tough to really uh, to, to be competitive the way we wanted to be. And there was some satisfaction there for me because I drove some real creations there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Incredible horsepower. I mean, there you were talking about um, you know, 1,100-1,200 yeah. horsepower and some of the... Uh, the cars that I had, uh, turbocharged, they were like a ridiculous horsepower. You know, in fact, more than you could really use. Uh-huh. And uh, and uh, but um, again, you know, that, that that was a real thrill and a real challenge. You know, to drive some of those machines, and uh, they were so incredibly popular. You know, in that era, in the six, middle sixties to the right up to the 70s. 70s, yeah. Let me ask you a question. You uh, Getting back to that, a scenario that's kind of like for the driver. So here you are. You're a, you know, a super driver. You can drive just about anything. How does it feel when you're the driver and you know you have the capability, you know you have the talent, and then unfortunately the equipment that you're using, and it's really not as a result of the team. It's just that you know mechanical failures just basically haunt you guys and just prevent you from 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 really succeeding to complete and finish and to the races and stuff. How does that, how, well, do you, how does the driver yeah, deal with that? Frustration sets in, obviously. And, uh, and of course, you know, in those days, uh, you know, the reliability factor uh, just wasn't there because we, we were trying to extract, you know, 105% of what, uh, you know, whatever equipment had. Uh, and, uh, and so the, uh, you know, gearboxes, engines, you know, we were just really, uh, everybody was just uh, pushing so much out of it. Today, it's so much more regulated, you know, just like the Indy cars are capable of 16,000 RPM, and they're, they're only, they're regulated to 10,300, so they can, uh, you don't see blown engines anymore. You know, because it's all regulated, mm-hmm. and that's good because, uh, you know, uh, you, have a ten, you, you have a chance to finish the races. And that's the best part, unless you crash, so yeah. to speak. Okay. So- uh, and I wish we had that. You know, what well, we didn't. It was uh, sort of different. It was, uh, uh, we were, uh, I mean, taking everything to such a limit, every aspect of the car, and uh, because everybody else was, you know, and that's the only chance you had. And if you lasted, you had it, you know, then you won. You know? But uh, uh, I had a lot of DNFs, you know, uh, so many DNFs while I was leading and controlling and dominating races. And that was, uh, you know, that, that, that was very frustrating many times. I like one of your famous quotes, and it goes something like this. If you think you're in control, you're not going fast enough. Is that true? How much validity is there to that? My quote, yeah, if you think (laughs) if everything is under control, you're just not going fast enough. And and that quote came out of a question that was put to me while we were writing a book in 1994 uh, about qualifying. Mm -hmm. You know, know, about qualifying. What is it about qualifying? And that's really what I said. And, you know, and it applies. It applies, believe me. I mean, it's... uh, when you're qualifying, I mean, you're really, really on the edge. And unless you do that, uh, you know, you're not going to be on pole. 
you watch anybody that uh, that is the fastest that particular time of day. I mean, they are at the limit, you know, and then that's what I loved. Actually, that was my specialty, quite honestly. Now you're involved in these the the new racing teams you had with Michael Andretti, your son. And what do you think as a as a driver coming out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s? What do you, what's your take on the technology today? What do you, how much further do you think we can go? How much faster can the cars be? How much safer can the cars be? Obviously, there's no uh, safety is is a huge issue, but. And not so much an IndyCar, but mainly, let's say, like, F1. Uh, you know, I mean, you're probably more familiar with IndyCar because you're involved with Indy teams. So what's your take on that? Well, first of all, I, uh, I uh, you know, you have to understand, I, I drove right up to the, to the computer age in modern time. I was one of the first teams in IndyCars to have the cars instrumented to the computer in the middle of the 80s, and I drove right up to... The middle of nineties, and uh, you know my last race was in two thousand. So uh, the, the technology that's used in the cars today was used then. So I'm up to speed on everything. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, I am totally up to speed, and and not only as a you know a bystander in the sport, uh, but also as a driver. And I drove that. I experienced all through that, and. And I love the technology. I love the fact that, um, you know, that it's a great tool. The computer is a wonderful tool to advance the knowledge of the cars. And, uh, and quite honestly, uh, the, the cars today could be so much faster, but they're so regulated because they could be much faster than what a human element can deal with. I have to try to tell you that the fastest race cars that we have ever had and probably records that probably never be broken were back in the night when I was still driving, back, you know, in the 90s, uh, because uh, the regulations were not as stringent as today. But then later, like toward the 2000, they started reaching levels that uh, the human element couldn't deal with, so that they have to start regulating the cars and the speeds, you know, to maintain a certain level. Like in Indianapolis, you know, they're trying to keep it around the 230 miles an hour range because much beyond that, then you get into, uh, you know, the G-forces that uh, would require a G-suit. Okay, we don't have a G-suit like a fighter pilot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, a lot of these things, uh, you know, these elements came into play. So, again, uh, uh, right now what you're going to see is the more a tighter competition, more level playing field, rather than extreme speeds. Because even in NASCAR, they're trying to keep everything below 200 miles an hour. Uh, you know, that's why they have the restrictor plates and all of that. Otherwise, on the super speedway, they'd be doing 220 miles an hour. So uh, the sport is much more regulated. But the, the part that you touched on is the safety. The beautiful thing is that... Uh, a lot of the knowledge that has uh, been used to make these cars go faster now has been applied also to make them safer. Mm-hmm. So the drivers of today have uh, the best chance ever to retire on their own terms rather than, you know, of course, injuries and so forth. And uh, that's a beautiful thing, you know, for the drivers of today. And, um, and that's, I think that's what maintains us or keeps the sport healthy in modern times. When you have uh, sponsors that spend millions of dollars to be with a team, be part of it, they don't want to go to funerals. They want to celebrate. They want so, to celebrate, you know, exactly. I think the safety is all important from every aspect.
Absolutely. Well, Mario, we're just about out of time, but I do want to thank you for coming on the show today. Also, I wanted to mention, too, that I talked to Lee Holman today, uh, uh, Holman and Moody, um, the son. And oh. so he told me to say hello. He's actually on his way to a, uh, a uh, thing, an honorary thing for his uh, a Hall of Fame thing that's going on. In, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's over at uh, Talladega Speedway. And his dad's being honored for, uh, for uh, a special event over there. So, But I do want to thank you for coming on the show. And uh, we'll... Would you be willing to come on the show again sometime in the near future? Well, you just let us know, by all means. I'll do that. And I want to thank you for coming on the show, and I want to thank my guests for tuning in. Our special guest this evening was Mario Andretti. Mario, hopefully I'll see you at maybe one of the Bobby Ray Hall Legend of Motorsports events in uh, in uh, Birmingham. At uh, There you go. So uh, well, you take care, and thank you for coming on the show, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Did you have fun? Thanks, Ram. You bet. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for coming on the show. appreciate it. And I'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Okay, guys. Hey, this is Robert at Nostalgic Radio Cars. I just want to thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you next week, or you guys will tune in and listen to me next week, same time, 7 o'clock, Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. So stay safe, stay healthy, stay wise. Check out some of these events. Go visit some of my sponsors, and everybody have a good time. And it's open mic night at Naughty Nancy's tonight, so we're heading over to Naughty Nancy's. Bill, you going to be over there? Oh, yeah. Well, you want food? Well, I'll call Naughty Dance. I'll see if I get you some food. Everybody else, we'll see you next week. I got another great guest for you next week. So be sure and tune in and tell your friends. I am signing off. Yeah.